may the words of my mouth, all the things that I say, Lord, may they be true, may they be helpful, and, and may there be clarity in these things. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of those who are ascended, uh, assembled, you know, sinners, Lord, with sinful ears and, and priorities that press on them and, and temptations that distract them, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we're dealing with this I Wonder series today, and we're going to be uh, talking about, I wonder, how do I know what God wants me to do? And I'm not so much talking about, you know, we did a fun thing at the beginning of the service, like, when do you decide what to wear? You know, the night before or the day of. I actually do both. You know, I decide the night before, and then the day of, I change, and then, and then I regret it. So, like, three times I think about that. Or my wife comes to worship and says, what were you thinking? You know, and she... <laughs> sees me in church. So, uh, and, and it's really not a, a question like what shampoo, you know, you should use on your hair. Wives determine that. You know, I always know how my, my wife thinks about her hair based on the shampoo that she has in the shower. I think, okay, she's feeling good. She's not feeling so good. You know, we're talking here not even right and wrong. There are two sides to this coin. You know, there's the religious what's right and religiously what's wrong doctrinally. We're not going to be talking about that. We talk about that a lot, and I think that's important. But today we're going to be talking about the practical aspects of life. You know, what should I do in life? And does God really care about what I do? Parent, uh, parenting decisions, relational decisions, work-related decisions, even major purchase decisions. Hundreds of decisions, you know, based on your values. Your values reflect your priorities. And your priorities as a Christian should reflect your faith. They don't always, but they should so we're not even talking so much about what's right and wrong, although some of our decisions would cause us to violate what we know to be God's will for all Christians, and we should never go there. I'm not so much talking about even right and wrong decisions when you know what is right. I'm talking about good, better, and best decisions. You know, I could do this, I could do that, or I might even do this, and how do I know? Because it's not really a sinful question. You know, I just, I just want to invest my life, my time, my energies, my resources in the way that pleases God the most and the way that will benefit me the most. I mean, don't you have times like that where it's a bit confusing? And how do you discern at times like that? We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 as our jumping off point. Then I want to make a, about four points that might be helpful uh, from elsewhere in the Bible. And then we'll turn it over to your questions. There is a, um, a live number that you can text questions to in just a moment. Romans 12, if you have a smart device, you can look at the Bible app. You can click on that, choose live event. Should take you right there. Or you could just open up your Bible or use your smart device. I actually have the Bible on my phone, and so I can actually look at it and read from there as well. Whatever you choose to do. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul speaking to people uh, about this issue of living a godly life. He says, I urge you, brethren, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to your God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, show, or demonstrate 
what God's will is by the way you live. The things that are good and acceptable and even perfect. Let's just take a look at this. First of all, he says, I urge you by the mercies of God. You say, does, does God really care about me? Yes, he demonstrated that clearly on the cross. So Paul says, you wouldn't trust anybody, you know, clowns to the left of you, jokers to the right. I mean, everybody has an opinion about what you should do. In fact, sometimes when we conduct weddings here, we, we meet with um, the couple before uh, we conduct that wedding. And, and uh, I, always, I always tell them, don't ask a question in front of your bridesmaids. They all have been to many weddings and they will all have many different solutions. Let's decide that here and now. You know, because people have opinions about what's right and wrong. And most of the time there's no right and wrong about how you enter the church, how you leave the church, where you stand. You know, let's decide that now. Let's go down and walk through it now so that you're, uh, you're clear about that. Because people have opinions. Why should you listen to God's opinion? Because of the mercies of God. Because of all that he has done for you. No one loves you like he loves you. He is trustworthy. I, I literally believe that if everybody else was saved and, and you were the only one who needed rescue, he would have still sent Jesus. You know, he does love you. Sometimes we attribute to God human characteristics, and we say, well, how can he give so much time and attention to me? I mean, shouldn't he care that the Muslim Brotherhood has taken over Egypt, or, you know, that uh, Iran is enriching uranium, or that uh, Korea is threatening rocket launches against the United States? I mean, or, or maybe, Lord, just leave me alone. Go solve the problems in Washington. That would be preferred for me. You know, he can do all those things, you know, at the same time. You are not insignificant in his eyes. And sometimes we think that, you know, I'm not so significant. Why would he care about me? He cares about you. Don't attribute to him your qualities. You know, you can only focus on a few things at a time. All those omni words apply to God, you know, those attributes. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. Can't do that. Even when I die, I'm in heaven. I'm not here wandering around the earth, you know. But God is everywhere. He is omnipotent, omnipotent. You know, he's all-powerful. So he can care for you and also give attention to these big issues in the world as well. And he does care to guide you in these decisions. Uh, secondly, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is interesting that Paul would say that because in the Old Testament, the pagan religions would capture slaves or prisoners from other places and they would offer sacrifices, kill people, throw them into fire. And if you've been down to Cancun or you've been in South America and you've seen some of the Inca uh, pyramids, they were places of sacrifice, weren't they? They took their prisoners and they sacrificed them, believing that somehow they would appease their gods. You know, Paul understood that that was the nature of the world. He says, God doesn't want you to die for him. You know, he doesn't necessarily even want you to martyr yourself for him, although uh, some have. He wants you to live for him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because he died for me, that old custom of, you know, you risk your life for me, and my life is now owed to you. You know, he has purchased you, you know, with uh, his blood and by his sacrifice therefore present your body back to him live for him and then he says which is your spiritual act of worship isn't that interesting you know what we in america and what we in christian culture today call worship god calls fellowship god calls that teaching time 
you know, what we're doing now is more fellowship. We're together with other Christians. Forsake not the assembling together as is the habit of some. You know, I even say that to the live stream people. It's, it's okay to watch on live stream. But you should not isolate yourself from other Christians. The faith is best lived in community. You know, forsake not the assembling together as is the habit of some, but come together for the spiritual uplifting and encouragement of each other, and all the more as the end draws near. You know, that's from Hebrews chapter 10. You know, you come, you're encouraged by others, and by the way, maybe you just encourage others. In fact, we're a part of a larger organization called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because there are things that we can do together that we cannot do alone. You know, we can support universities, train pastors, send missionaries. You know, we do some of that ourselves, but we can also do that in league with others. In fact, we are more and more also partnering with community organizations because why should we recreate what to do in the city? How do we know what to do in the city? You know, but there are places like Sunshine Ministries who have those relationships. And we don't uh, replicate that. We just say, let's work with you. You know, our people need to do that. Our people have resources. You know those people. You know how best to do that without making a situation worse. And so, you know, we're going to work alongside you. We're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship. Worship for God is what we call life. You know, presenting your body is worship. What you do with your day is how you worship God. He says, this is how you show that you love me, you know, by keeping my commandments, by living out your faith. So that you may show, the final verse, what God's will is, that you may demonstrate it in your life. Being transformed, not conformed to this world. You know, there are, there are these, you know, contrasting pressures that you have. You know, the pressures of your friends around you who may or may not believe or who are struggling with their own issues and temptations and, and the Lord's intentions for your life. I once... Um, I heard a vicar talk about this. You know, you can learn from anybody. And and he was an intern, you know, didn't have a lot of experience. And and yet he was preaching a message. I was listening to it. And I've never forgot it. It was probably 20 years ago I heard this message. and, And he was preaching on Galatians that says, you have this war at work in your body, you know, spirit and flesh. And he says, you know which one wins? He says, my daddy taught me this. So I'm now learning not only from a vicar, I'm learning from a vicar's daddy. He said, you know which one wins? The one you feed the most? Made sense to me. I've never forgot it. You know, if you feed the flesh, from the flesh you will harvest destruction, the Bible says. You know, if you go that way, you know, the flesh is at war with your spirit. But if you feed the spirit, then the spirit will suppress the flesh and you will find yourself in line with God. That's how you transform your mind, you know, by spending time in the Word. We talk about 1-1-15-6. You know, every day spend 15 minutes in some kind of spiritual discipline. It might lead to more, but it should never lead to to less. So uh, from Romans chapter 12, you know, how should I discern what it is I should do? Now let me just uh, go back and and touch on a few points before we get to your questions and answers. Uh, Important biblical insights to determine the will of God. First of all, the Bible says, test the spirits. I love this passage from 1 John chapter 1. Test the spirits, for not every spirit is from God. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I think we are easily impressed by circumstance. Something happens in our life at just the right time that we're weighing something. We say, oh, that must be from God. That's not a coincidence. 
you know, uh, I've never seen that quite happen, so God definitely wants me to do this. Really? There are other spirits in the world. There are fallen angels in the world who can fool and deceive you. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle in this world to do what is right and to know it is not against flesh and blood, not against equals. You are fighting an unequal battle. Put on the full armor of God. But it's against rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, for this reason, we would never say, one good way is to consult a fortune teller. One good way is to have your palm read. One good way is to uh, read your horoscope, have a star reading, use a Ouija board, tea leaves, or some other form of the occult to determine what it is you should do. You know, I I do believe that the devil can deceive you. I believe that he can uh, know things about your life and those who are informed by him can then communicate those things to you and say, there's no way she could know that. She must be in touch with God. And she could lead you away from God. But based on that circumstance, you know, even things about a, you know, a, a dead father or mother, they could know these things and reveal these things. So that is not the test. Let me get into what is not the test. And I want to refer to Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first five verses. On your spread the word, or if you're at home, you should take some, uh, some notes. There's a, a white space on the back of the handout that we give in worship here. Uh, and you could study these later yourself and just say, oh, that's interesting. I had not heard that before. Deuteronomy is the last book of Moses out of the five books that are authored by Moses. And it's kind of considered his farewell address, his goodbye sermon before he goes up on the mountain and is uh, died and buried by God. And so you can imagine if this is the last thing he wrote, these are really important things that he wanted people to pay attention to. Here's what he said. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. I mean, they do miracles. They impress you by what they can do. And the sign or wonder comes true. You say, wow, it must be from God. It actually came true. No one can do that. This person, man, you should come with me. You should hear what they have to say. They will change your life. They will give you direction. I trust this person. Concerning what they spoke to you, it comes true. And they also counsel you to do things that are not godly. And say, follow this path. You should not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. And this is an interesting phrase. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You shall follow only the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. And so if they have even miracles, even able to predict things that then they cause to come true, and you say that has to be from God because I've experienced it, be careful. The test is not, can they do miracles? The test is not prophecy and fulfillment. The test is not personal knowledge of your situation. The test is not even mannerisms of those they could not know, but now they know, and so they must be speaking from God. 
you know, prophecy and fulfillment is one test by which we know the scripture to be true. Miracles are one way in which people question Jesus, but that's only the start. Also, does the counsel fit with the rest of the counsel of God? You know, if they can do miraculous things and show you things that no one can know, and yet they counsel you away from what you know to be God's word, don't listen to that person. God allows that to happen in our world. You know, to see whether you will abide faithful to him or whether you'll just be impressed by people who can do amazing things. So what is the test if that's not the test? Well, let me just uh, share with you from 1 John chapter 4, the rest of that section. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false spirits have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's a good sign. You know, do they point to Jesus? You know, do they speak of him as Savior? Do they speak of him as having existed as part of God, then taking on the form of flesh and then returning to God, you know, as part of the Godhead? Do they acknowledge this about him? If they do not, then they are not from God. I would even caution you against uh, even Christian churches who preach the changed life. You know, this is the Christian life. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Rather than the one who changes life. It's interesting. You know, we, uh, uh, a while back, we were a part of a, a team's ministry. It was called the East Africa Mission Society. And when we got over there, just like we do here, we, we partner with people. We don't believe that we know everything there is to know about Africa. And we can come from West County, St. Louis, and make a big difference. We actually partnered with... Uh, the Norwegian Lutheran Mission Society over there, and this guy was like a brother to me, just so in the Word of God and, and so wanting to speak the language of the people, knew Swahili very well. There were eight uh, Norwegians over there that we got to know pretty well, and, and they were raising up 135 missionaries from the culture. They had a year, they had a 10-year plan to remove themselves and leave behind an indigenous church. Amen? You know, so that they weren't going to continue to run that church. They were going to train people to run that church. And it was just uh, fascinating that they... Uh, they understood that uh, the need was for these people to lead their own church. Now, when they first got there, they saw a lot of things in that culture that were just wrong. I mean, there were just, there was abuses. There was, uh, you know, scarring of women uh, and, and things that were just not right. Even the relationships were wrong and demeaning to people and they had slaves. And, and so they began to address the situation of the people. And they said they were getting nowhere. They were fighting the culture. And it just, they spun their wills and nothing was changing and they said you know forget that we're going to teach them about jesus and they began to teach them about jesus and the people changed their own culture isn't that interesting yeah once the people understood christ then they saw what was wrong in their life rather than teaching the changed life they taught the one who changes life and then the people took it from there it was an amazing discovery on their part so I, I think many false spirits have come into the world. Do they honor Jesus as Lord and Savior? And uh, Paul even goes further in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or thinks he is spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write to you are from the Lord. You know, does it agree with the rest of Scripture? Does it honor Jesus? Does it agree with the rest of Scripture? You know, if it seems right to you, but it's not right in the Word of God, then it's not right. And then finally, this point, and let's get to your questions. Uh, you can expect spiritual prompting. And uh, I, I do believe 
that you will have a sense that God is leading you. Could God appear to you as he did to Paul, as he did to Moses, burning bush? Yes, he could. You're going to have to test those spirits to see whether they are from God, if they counsel something other. And that would be for you and not necessarily for everyone else. But I do think more common than that is just this kind of sense of rightness that my spirit, which is from God, resonates to the nature of God and and leads me in a direction. Let me read it to you, and this is a good passage for you to write down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I would recommend the whole chapter. Let me just focus on verses 10 to 14. For to us, these things are revealed through the Spirit. Paul says elsewhere in this same chapter, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, I have God's Spirit in me because I acknowledge Him as Savior. I don't come to that by a rational decision. I come to that because God has caused me to believe that so that even my decision to follow Him is to God's credit, not to mine. And so I have the Spirit of God in me. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The Spirit that I have in my heart searches what is true about God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except that man himself? Even so, the thoughts of God no one can know except God himself. So your spirit, which is part of God's spirit, resonates to God. And there's this, there's this peace about it, this calmness about it, this sense about it. And then he goes on to say, verse 12... For we have all received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak of. Yeah, it's contrary to human wisdom. Doesn't make sense to those who don't know. But to those who are taught by the spirit, it's a combination of spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. You know, it it often amazed me when people would come up and say, you know, I, I've shared this. My, my brother or sister, my brother or sister say, you're crazy. You know, what do I say to them? And say, you're right. You know, if you don't have God in your life, that seems crazy. What I do seems, you know, contrary to all reasonability. And yet it's from God, and therefore I accept it and believe it to be true. And you know what? Even though it's counterintuitive sometimes, it proves itself to be true and true uh, and proves itself to be valid because it's within the will and spirit of God. Well, let's take on some of your questions and uh, see what you have to say. Uh, here's the text, 636, whatever it was. It's gone now, but it was there. Uh, I think it's going to be on the screen for you there, just in the corner. How do we test God? <laughs> Thanks, guys. How, how do we test God so that we know it is Him speaking to us? You know, test God. I, I think it goes back to everything I said. Does it, does it align uh, with the Word of God? Does it ask you to do something contrary to the will of God? And uh, Dion said this in a previous service, and I said this last night too. Uh, if there's some confusion, talk to Christian friends. You know, earlier I quoted that verse, do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. You know, other people in your life that you know are godly people, seek them out. The confessions call that the mutual consolation of the brethren. You know, what would they say? You know, Steve, I think that's more you than God, or is that more God than you? You know, so others can also give you counsel. Um, We know that Gideon uh, threw down the fleece and said, you know, let the fleece be wet and the whole ground be dry. And that was that way the next day. And he says, well, the fleece could have just absorbed the water. So God, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. You know, he kept testing God. And people said, you know, is that okay? Should we test God like that? I I think God... uh, accounted for Gideon's weakness of faith, and and he did it in that circumstance. That doesn't become a way for us to do things necessarily, though. 
I don't think that that's a model for us to follow. I think, does it follow God's word? Is there anything compromised here? And do other people who know me and, and know God, do they agree? I think those are all good ways. Next question. What if you prayed over a decision, talked with fellow Christians, but still don't know the right way? How do you move forward? I think you finally got to pull the trigger, don't you? I, I, I really do believe that you finally have to act. I, I see a lot of people who aim, 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 aim. Never fire, you know. Pull the trigger. Be bold and courageous, you know, is what the Bible says. Uh, don't turn from the right or to the left of all that I commanded you. That's the combination for success. The only place where success is mentioned, by the way, is in Joshua chapter 1. It is interesting that David repeats this advice to his son Solomon when David is on his deathbed. He says, be strong and courageous to do that. Turn from the right or to the left. I know people who are willing to be faithful but are not strong and courageous. They don't accomplish much. They're very pious. You know, and, and, but they're, they're kind of mild-mannered and stay within themselves and don't achieve all that they could for the Lord. I also know people who are strong and courageous who don't care a flip about what God says. And, you know, they get things done, but they're not necessarily godly, nor do they last. And sometimes they're often destructive. So I think it's the combination of being strong and courageous and also being willing to follow God's lead. So that would be my answer. When choosing wise people, how do we know what motivates them and their direction? Well, I wouldn't choose only one wise person. And I would choose people who don't always agree. There's, a, there's a, a story in the Old Testament about a king uh, during kind of a controversial time. And another king came to him, and, and they wanted to go into battle. And he says, is it wise to go into battle? He says, well, let me call in my prophets. And all of his prophets said, whatever you say, king, the king is always wise. The king is always right. You should do what he, you have proposed in your heart. And, and the king who was visiting him, trying to discern the truth, uh, said, uh, these guys are just kissing up. You know, is, is there anybody here who really speaks the truth? And he goes, well, there's one guy, but he always says bad things about me. He says, well, I want to hear him. And the guy comes in, and the guy does the same kiss-up stuff. He says, oh, king, whatever you say. And he knew right away. The guy was mocking him. He said, tell me the truth. He says, if you do this, you will die. He says, I will put you in prison. If I don't come back, people are going to kill you. And he says, put me in prison, then I can only tell you the truth. You know, so you know whether people are smoozing you know, whether people are just kissing up to you or whether they're speaking a word of truth. I, I think your spirit will resonate to the truth when you hear it. So uh, be careful of those people who only uh, want your favor and don't want to, to give you the honesty. There's a passage in the Proverbs that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, a friend will tell you your breath smells, you know. They will. You know, they'll tell you you have something right here on your cheek, you know. Uh, other people just ignore that, you know. So uh, you know who those people are. If two Christians feel God has prompted them to conflicting decisions, how do we know which one is God's will? That's a good question. I, I think sometimes you have to sit on it. Sometimes you have to say, let's pray more about this or let's wait for uh, uh, God to prompt some conclusion in a matter I know sometimes in the church we have to make decisions about our future and uh, people don't always agree. Uh, then those people in authority finally have to make a decision. You can't live, you know, the Bible says, how long will you live between two opinions? You know, you can't sit on the fence forever. You have to get down. And if you get down and then you find out that that wasn't a wise decision, which has happened to me. You know, I, I remember one time we made a decision about changing a worship time. 
and it, it just didn't work out. And I came out to the service, and no one was there. And I said, okay, I was wrong. And the people all, about time, you finally got it, you know. And just admit you're wrong. And, and you know, nothing's uh, uh, typically very crucial that you can't course, you know, change uh, your direction. You know, so if, if it's been proven not to be wise, you know, change direction. But you finally have to resolve and head in some direction. I'm struggling with a big decision, and either choice could be a great opportunity. Does God care which way I go? Thank you for that question. I think that we believe God cares more than he actually does. You know, I'm a pastor, and, and uh, I'm sure that's God-pleasing that I've been able to use my gifts in that way. I could have chosen a business path. I don't think God would have been upset with me had I chosen a business path and used that means to serve him, to accomplish much, to be his witness. I don't believe fatalistically that God has, you know, a path that we follow and he bounces us around until we follow his path, that we have to always discern what he wants us to do. I think God's okay that we might choose different directions as long as we are faithful in that path. Uh, he has given us free will for a reason. He wants us to exercise faith. Your life is not necessarily uh, meant to determine what does God want me to do, what does God want me to do. You know, he has, he has given you faith. He's given you ability to make some decisions, move in that way, be pleasing to God in that way. Um, there are certain occasions, there are certain people who have been chosen to do special things. I get that. You know, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity I've had, but I don't believe that I am better positioned to please him than you are. I think you can be as pleasing to God in what you do with your life in faithfulness to him as any pastor or Christian worker can be. I work at a religious institution. So do I. But feel called away. I do not. <laughs> How can I find an occupation where I feel like I'm doing something God-pleasing? Well, you know, you know, businessmen struggle with this. Businesswomen struggle with this all the time. Um, Will, will I be allowed to maintain my ethical standard in that place? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that I can be preachy in that place. I, I think that would come off badly. I don't think that would serve God well. You know, competence serves God well. And I remember we had a guy here, Hector Gutierrez, years ago. And, and uh, he was uh, big in AT&T when AT&T had their international offices here. They moved him elsewhere. And Hector eventually became uh, in charge of all AT&T in Mexico. You know, he obviously was from a Hispanic background, and Hector was a, a wonderful guy. And, uh, and uh, he, he would say at a meeting, he goes, anybody want to pray? I mean, in a corporate setting. And he, he was the top guy. And he goes, uh, well, that's okay. He says, let me do that here. You know, I kind of knew where that line was. He said, God has gotten me this far. I'm not going to abandon him now. You know, and, and so he would pray, and he says, you know, if that's not your thing, that's okay too. But, you know, he found a way to express his faith in that setting. And, uh, wow, he must have been quite an influence and very powerful. I really miss him. Still stay in touch with him a little bit. I don't think that's bad to do that, you know, if that's what God's leading you to do. Next question, if there is one. We are out of time. Stop it, Pastor Howard. So uh, I'm glad that you're here. We can't answer all your questions. There were questions that were really good that were asked me last night. Asked Pastor Dion at the two previous services. In fact, I was watching him online. Uh, they will deal with some of these questions in the podcast. Have you been listening to that? 
very easy to get to. Uh, you can go to the website and click on the six podcast, and you can hear those guys, uh, Ryan and Dion, or Dion and Jeff, whoever it happens to be. Um, they don't let me there. I dominate too much. So uh, uh, they give and take, and uh, that's a good way to catch up. Also, have you seen uh, the post, page seven? You know, vigil lays bare discord among Lutherans. Did you see that? You know, we're a part of this organization. We're an independent congregation. That's, that's why it's called a synod. Two Greek words, sin and otis, hodus. It means we walk the same road together. Our national denomination has no authority over us except the word of God. And, uh, and, but we freely associate because we can do things together that we can't do alone, you know. Build hospitals, uh, work overseas. When congregations come together, there's about 6,000 of us, uh, independent but freely associated with this group of people. And, uh, uh, you know, we don't always please them. They don't always please us, obviously. And, and the national denomination, if you've been paying attention, and it's in the paper, uh, recently one of our young pastors out in Connecticut, uh, after the Sandy Hook shooting, that tragedy that occurred out there, you know, uh, he was invited to the community service, and, and he went and he prayed at that service. And, you know, we as pastors are kind of forbidden to be involved in public worship with other people because the belief is that then we say there are many roads to heaven. This is our road. They have their road. And we give the impression that everybody up there agrees. I don't think you believe that. Do you believe that? I don't think you believe that for a minute. I think you know the difference between what I believe and what a Muslim believes or what someone from Baha'i believes. And, uh, and, you know, and this young pastor was asked to apologize to the church body. I don't think he should have been asked to apologize. I think he should have been applauded for being courageous and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to that setting, don't you? That's where I stand. So I think 